0: This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this
1: week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 20th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. So, today's the day. After a couple of scheduling glitches on his end and mine, Joe Seavey, Vice President of Franchise Development for Inspire Brands, is in the house, and what a great conversation it promises to be. I've been working on getting Joe to join us since August, but the recent passing of his dad obviously caused us to reschedule a time or two. He's here today, though, excited to talk not just about his success, Successful career on the corporate side of restaurants and franchising, but also about his other franchise career that as a franchisee. Almost straight out of college, Joe became a struggling, undercapitalized, single-unit sandwich shop franchised operator. It took him a little time, but he finally figured things out. And between operating and spending some time on the corporate side of the equation, Joe went on to later become a highly successful multi-unit Domino's franchisee with as many as 60, yes, I said 60, locations in operation across three or four states. His career has been colorful in ops and development as a corporate executive and as a franchisee. Joe Seavey's seen it all. He's passionate about restaurants and franchising, and he loves to share the experiences of his illustrious journey. He's here to do all that right after a brief time out. You're listening to Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, and I'll be right back with Joe Seavey.
0: Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% These days, Joe Seavey brings his rich franchise experience to bear as Vice President of Franchise Development for the multiple flags flown by Inspire Brands. With core competencies in revenue growth, brand building, and value multiplication, what better place could there possibly be to bring all this talent? Today, Inspire Brands has more than 3,200 franchisees, generating more than $27 billion in global system sales, across 32,000 locations in all 50 states and more than 65 countries. With more than 650,000 company and franchise team members across the brands, Inspire Brands checks in today as the second-largest restaurant company in America in both system-wide sales as well as number of locations. Here to tell his story and to talk about it all is their vice president of franchise development, Joe Seavey. Joe CV, welcome to Franchise Today. Stan, thank you. Pleasure to be here. I've really been looking forward to this conversation, Joe. We've threatened to have this for quite some time. And let me extend my condolences to you on the recent loss of your dad. I believe that was the first week that we were going to do this.
2: Best laid plans. No, thank you for the condolences. Um, yes, my dad was sick with uh, Lewy body dementia.
1: Uh, so I appreciate your flexibility. And I appreciate yours and getting together and putting this together so that we can share some things about the illustrious career of a guy like you who's got a lot to share with an audience like mine, which is built basically on emerging franchisors and executives who aspire to hit some of the high points that people like yourself have already touched. So the best way for us to start this conversation, Joe, is with you sharing what got you into franchising. How did franchising find Joe Sevian? When was that? Yeah, I I love that, Stan. How, How did franchising find me. I was in college at the time and I
2: used to eat at a uh, deli and realized the owner was there every day and was very friendly. And it was interesting what he was doing. In college, I had a habit of uh, reading the business journals in the business section of the newspapers, along with sports section, and found out that this, this deli I went to was a franchise. And the guy that I saw every day was the local franchisee. So I thought, you know, I'll reach out to him as, as a naive uh, student and see if he'll talk to me. Well, this is to date myself, I guess a little bit. This is before the time of Google and the internet. So I actually looked him up in the white pages. Um, got his name from the article. And I called him at home. And his wife answered and I just asked if they'd be willing to, you know, speak with me about their investment and their journey into franchising. And sure enough, I mean, I was I was shocked with you know, he invited me in to meet him at one of his restaurants and that's how it found me. You know, and then from there I kind of kept in touch and figured, you know what, this may be something to do when I get out of school. That's how it started, quite frankly. And then from there, I had a couple of years left of school. I you know, graduated school and was actually working in some outside sales jobs and industrial sales. And the itch of entrepreneurship didn't leave. I always kind of had that itch. You know, My background, I come from a blue collar family, lower middle class. My dad was an aircraft mechanic, whom you've mentioned just recently passed away. So I didn't have a lot of guidance around how to do these things. So this was new, but I had an itch and I knew I wanted to go into business for myself. And now this franchising model seemed to show a path that I had not previously considered and it was going to be the restaurants. So in uh, 1997, I was 24-ish. I quit my job and signed my first franchise agreement. Didn't have any money. Yeah, they say I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. Didn't have any family (laughs) money. I didn't have any guidance, but I went forward with it and navigated the SBA and was able to get back then what they call the low doc loan. I took out a partner who was a a fraternity brother from school. We borrowed uh, $15,000 from his Dad, and then I also did some creative financing. Where you know I graduated college. The creative financing was I had bought my first nice car out of college because I always had these clunkers, right? And nice car was you know it was like a Nissan Altima, but you know it was nice for me. I owed eleven thousand dollars on it. I sold it to a friend for eleven thousand dollars. He gave me a check for eleven thousand dollars, and instead of paying off the car, I put the eleven thousand dollars into the business and I added my friend to my insurance. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a little creative financing there to help get a little bit of extra operating. And capital and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It took us a year to finally secure the real estate, just because retail was very different back then. So it was a you know it was a long road of, of getting that first location open, which opened in I think it was December of '98. Was this Good Sense? This was Good Sense. Yeah, it was called uh, Mr. Good Sense Subs and Pastas, which today is known as Good Sense
1: Deli Fresh Subs. And what was the job that you quit?
2: I was doing industrial sales for a company doing janitorial equipment and supplies. So selling to anybody that used any sort of janitorial equipment or supplies. And was good sense the sandwich shop
1: that you were doing research?
2: Yes, absolutely. When I was in school, I mean, I would eat there a few times a week and I fell in love with the food. I was a younger guy with a, a, a big metabolism. So their normal size sandwich, they didn't have footlongs. They had 16 inch sandwiches. I'd go in there and polish that off and some sides. A few times a week and really fell in love with the product and then also the business side of it. When I got back to St. Louis, which is where I'm from originally, there were already a few of those open. And through that, I'd also connected with some of friends that I knew from University of Missouri, which is where I went to school, whom had become franchisees of good sense. So I you know, I spent a lot of time with them with my due diligence before I, I jumped into it. But at one point I just decided it was time to do it, do it now
1: or let me never do it. So fast forward the tape from there what that looked like and what the progression of milestones might have been. The best thing that I that I can share is that
2: it was not easy from the beginning. <laughs> I didn't have a great location. You know, it's the old saying it, had I known then what I know now. Right. So a lot of it was, you know, baptism by fire and learning as you go. The franchisor that I was with at the time was a, you know, a younger franchisor, and so there were not a lot of processes and systems in place to support franchisees. So, you know, we had to navigate things, you know, on our own and really support each other. So everything that could go wrong went wrong in the beginning. You know, construction costs, startup costs, over by fifty percent. Had to go back to the SBA. I opened up the business with zero operating capital because we burned it all up on the startup costs. I literally had a plumbing subcontract, come into my dining room one day and say, he needs a check. And I just told him, I said, you're more than welcome to sit here through lunch. I'll buy you a soda and we'll see what we get. And after lunch, I gave him a few hundred dollars out of the the register to just keep him happy. But fast forward, things worked out. It was a lot of guerrilla tactics, guerrilla marketing, local marketing to really build it up. Wasn't a great location, but it was successful kind of in spite of that. I bought my partner out after a year. And then from there, I ended up buying another location and then built another location. And, and I'd always had this idea that I would be multi-unit franchisee operator. Didn't really know what that meant or what the uh, process of the template was. I was fortunate to connect with a couple um, multi-unit good sense franchisees out of Kansas who kind of took me under their wing and they really became great mentors. And, you know, one today is still a, a great friend of mine since then, but really learned a lot from my peer franchisees. And from there, I then diversified uh into another concept called La Salsa, fresh Mexican. La Salsa had been purchased by CKE, who had just recently turned around Arby's and was also the parent of Carl's Jr. This was during the time that a lot of concept brands were buying up other brands. And so CKE's objective was to take this legacy concept, La Salsa, that started in California in the 70s, QSR, best casual Mexican, and grew it to a thousand plus locations. There were about a hundred at the time I got into it. Kind of came into the same situation. I didn't have enough money to get into it. They were requiring about five, million liquid. And I I didn't have that quite yet. And so I brought on an investor and then we ended up buying the rights to develop the St. Louis market and then sold my good sense to that company. And we formed a multi-unit, multi-brand holding company. And so did all of that for about 13
1: years up until about 2010. So we went from sandwiches and subs to Mexican and salsa. What next? What grabbed your attention next and where did that lead you?
2: Sure. So that lasted for 13 years approximately. And I was continuing organic growth, organic development, which anybody knows that's done it. It's it's hard. It's very capital intensive and tough to do and and get to that As I was building both of these brands, unfortunately, the brands were not growing as a system. So GoodSense had kind of stalled out at about 150 locations. And I didn't want to keep investing my capital and resources into a brand that was not growing on a national basis. Same thing with La Salsa. La Salsa was a great concept, great backing from CKE. Andy Puzzer was the CEO at the time, but you know they were public at the time and had gotten pressure from an activist investor to, to divest of La Salsa and focus on the burger concept. So you know, the new owner of, of La Salsa really didn't have intentions of growing it. So here it was a dilemma of being a franchisee in two concepts that I had spent a lot of time and resources on that weren't going to grow, thereby my valuation wasn't going to grow. And th- so I decided at that point that I needed to pivot to a national brand. And so at that time, I started looking at uh, acquisition opportunities with some large brands, had some opportunities with Hardee's, Carl's Jr.'s, Five Guys, Dunkin', and actually made a run with some investors at a few acquisitions. And this is a 2009. So right after the financial crisis, we were getting outbid on some of these things where people were still willing to pay five, six multiples. A lot of them <laughs> ended up regretting that. And and I'm glad I didn't get some of those deals, but that led me then to Domino's. And so I was looking at Domino's and had gone through the approval process. Domino's was just starting to open up external franchising because the bulk of their franchisees, if not all of them, came from internal folks. And so I gotten through the approval process. And, and again, I was looking for a small acquisition to acquire some scale that I could then develop from there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there was no package available. A lot of franchises were willing to sell me their onesie, twosies, kind of dogs, if you will. And I didn't have experience with the brand to know if I could turn them around. And so during the process and the discovery, you meet with all the executives. Patrick Doyle had just become CEO. And through that process, oh, these are some of the smartest people I've ever met. Someone had posed the question if I would entertain a corporate position with Domino's. By the point I thought, sure, I can learn a lot from these guys. So I joined there in early 2010 in operations. And I was initially tasked with turning around the Western part of the United States. And this was the very beginning of their brand transformation, brand turnaround. They had just launched, that Domino's just launched a new and inspired pizza in December of 2009. And so sales were starting to skyrocket, but the franchisee base, A lot of them were still struggling from the wounds of 2008, 2009. And quite frankly, a lot of them were on the verge of insolvency. So I was tasked with going and turning around the Western region. And my experience as a franchisee and an owner, I think, lent well to me because I was able to go in and, and help these franchisees with their business. They were all great pizza makers and could make better pizzas faster and better than me. But what a lot of them didn't have was business experience on how to run their business, how to work on their business versus working in their business. And so one by one, I I met with these franchisees and some of them were literally days on the verge of bankruptcy. Couldn't pay their food suppliers, couldn't pay their
1: landlords. Couldn't pay their plumbers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right.
2: Couldn't pay anything. And so, you know, what I did is I tried to take an opposite approach of what I think a lot of franchise ops people is, you know you go into the restaurant and I can pick apart everything that's wrong. Well, I know your your restaurants aren't running right based on the metrics that we had because we had a lot of data there. And so instead of going into the restaurants and telling them that the restaurants weren't operating properly or weren't at brand standards or they were dirty, in many cases, I'd met the franchises away from the restaurant and we'd sit down and I'd say, listen, let's talk about your finances. And the majority of them didn't have financials because they couldn't afford to pay their accountants. So it was let's get out of legal pad and let's talk about what do you owe? What are your secured debts? What are your fixed costs? Your rent, you got to pay royalties, you got to pay your taxes, sales tax, and unemployment tax. What are those unsecured? And so it kind of took an unorthodox approach of. Coaching a lot of the franchisees kind of in cash management on how to dig out of this, just from a cash management standpoint, how to restructure their business from a management leadership standpoint so that they could better run the business versus covering shifts and delivering pizzas themselves, which is great that they want to do that. But while they're doing that, they're not watching their business. And I can tell you, I think 99% of the time we were able to turn those franchisees around and they ended up long-term becoming developing franchisees who a lot of them today are still franchisees. I know one that has cashed out and retired. I keep in touch with. I had one franchisee that kind of stuck his head in the sand, but he ended up closing and we had uh, someone lined up to reopen his stores very quickly and much more successfully. So it was a fun experience. And I think tough times that I had as a franchisee is what really equipped me for that.
1: What was your degree in, Joe, that informed all this for you?
2: So and my degree was just marketing management. You know, really had to learn a lot on my own from an accounting standpoint. And that's what my friends and mentors had done that I'd mentioned earlier in sets that were fellow franchisees is really understanding. I took some accounting in school, but I didn't major in it. But, you know, let's go back to the basics of the difference between cash-based and accrual accounting. Understanding beyond just a, a P&L, but what does your actual cash flow look like? And, and I think that's the thing with this business. It's a cash business and it is all about cash flow. It's all about those pennies and those dollars. As you know, especially in the restaurant business, it's a fine line between making money and losing money. Early on in my career, and I didn't really elaborate on that, I had some tough times. Early on as a franchisee who didn't know what he was doing, it was robbing Peter to pay Paul. Luckily back then you mailed your checks. I took full advantage of what we call float. You know, Mm -hmm. I knew I could mail it and it wasn't going to hit the account for a few days. And every week was a sprint to six o'clock on Friday, knowing that nothing was going to clear again until Monday when payroll was hit. Sales tax were hitting. And so those tough times are what had helped me. And I had survived through 9 11, which really impacted my business. Fortunately, I was able to climb out of those tough times and things ended up working out, but I think that's what really helped me with the ability to maybe provide some guidance to these franchisees.
1: So how many years did you play the corporate role
2: at Domino's? So, so after about nine months in my position, we started seeing good results in the the regions I was covering. And so I was I was promoted the director of strategic market growth, which was a new position. And then I was tasked with heading up, leading a new strategy called Fortress Market. Domino's Fortress Market was a strategy to build the the idealistic template of what Domino's should be. So this is during the brand turnaround. People look at Domino's, everyone thinks they understand what the turnaround was. Oh, it was the new product. It was the technology. It was the commercials, et cetera. Frankly, it was a multi-pillared approach that included that, but also included compliance of brand standards, strengthening franchise operations local marketing, new images, portfolio management, understanding market optimization, and also building new units. And so I led the first Fortress Market in collaboration with franchisees in Seattle. And the short version is we did that. It was an 18-month process where we built 20 locations, remodeled the 75 that were there or relocated the ones that were identified as needing that. And it worked. We achieved a big increase in our average weekly sales. We overtook the number one position for Pizza markets. Market share, where we were number two and we set out. And over 18 months, it just really proved out to be a great success. And then that strategy of the fortress market was then studied and rolled out across the rest of the United States and then ultimately globally, and is still part of their strategy today, as you'll hear on some of the earnings reports. So I did that. From that, I was in uh, some leadership development programs there. And it was brought to me by my executives, the opportunity to franchise with Domino's. And after about nine months of deliberating and some due diligence, they left the corporate side and franchised with Domino's and ended up with close to 60 locations in four different states and was building five to eight new locations a year, remodeling and relocating another five plus a year and did that for a few years. And then we had a investment horizon there, which we met a little bit earlier than expected and ended up selling out sooner. So in 2016, sold out of that. I considered peeling off a piece for myself, but quite frankly, other buyers are willing to pay a bit more. And there was a lot of capital reinvestment still re-inquired with remodel mandates, et cetera. So as I was selling out of that, put my feelers out. Do I want to be a franchisee again? Do I want to stay on the corporate side? I had a lot of fun on the corporate side. With the turnaround and being part of the strategic direction of Domino's, but I also enjoyed being a franchisee. During that time, a recruiter reached out to me about Arby's. And I was familiar with Arby's. they had recently been purchased by Roar Capital and beginning the turnaround, very similar to what we had just done at Domino's. So flew to Atlanta and met with the executive team at the time. Paul Brown was CEO of Arby's. He's now our CEO and co-founder of Inspire Brands. And I thought, again, very smart people. I want to be part of this and can definitely draw from my playbook as a franchisee and also as a franchisor during the Domino's turnaround and hopefully implement some of that at Arby's. So set up at Arby's, I uh, came in as head of franchise development, but there really wasn't any growth for a long time at Arby's. When I got here in 2016, it was our first year in, I don't know, five or 10 years that we actually were net unit positive and net unit growth. And then unbeknownst to me, Paul Braun had bigger ideas. So February of 2018, we formed Inspire Brands, acquired Buffalo Wild Wings and Rusty Taco.
1: And since then, it's been off to the races. I'll tell you what, let's do. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about those races, but I really want to re- reflect on something that really sticks out in my mind, listening to the first portion of your Domino's experience. You went to them, you try to become a franchisee, you couldn't get in the way you wanted to, and instead you wind up getting recruited to become an executive and help others do a better job in the operation of their own units, while they basically were putting you on a salary to teach you how to do your due diligence and come back and actually own. It doesn't get any better than that. I'm Pretty fortunate. What a great story, but we're only halfway there and we're gonna take this quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna to listen to the great story as it gets even better. We're talking today with Joe Seavey, Vice President of Franchise Development for Inspire Brand. We'll be right back.
0: Franchise Today, we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And the conversation continues with Joe Stevie, Vice President of Franchising for Inspire Brands, telling us how early days at Arby's looked like a replay of the old playbook at Domino's. So pick up from there and tell us how it played out.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dan.
1: So it is interesting. I think we all draw from our previous experience
2: and that was part of the attraction of Arby's was just the the turnaround, of course, with the backing of Roar Capital leadership of Paul Brown, which also made it attractive, but looked at it very similarly. When I got into the brand, the brand had come from a low of average unit volumes, about 800,000 per unit AUVs, which really was a tough value proposition from a unit economic standpoint. And so really what I set out was one, to build a team and a process because there wasn't anything in place around development. The brand at the time wasn't really growth minded. And in part, because it had had just probably been a lot of focus on navigating survival the previous 10, 20 years. i had some great operation leadership in place, a very, strong ops team and actually ran very good company operations. And so what I set out was to build those relationships with our operational counterparts and the ops leadership team. And that was my background was in operations. And so kind of first setting out is how do we take inventory and assess the existing franchisee base and help those franchisees? Who are those franchisees that are in a good place, have the resources and the desire to grow that we can foster and get that moving? And then, of course, there may be some of those franchisees that need to exit and not from a negative standpoint, but there may be franchisees that just aren't really cut out for this. They've been doing it a long time. They're tired. And my position has always been as a franchisor, our job to help a franchisee achieve their objectives, if that is growth and more units, if that is to exit and monetize their business, then let's help you do that. So those were some of the things that I, I drew from You know, Domino's is before we can go out and say, listen, we're going to really ramp up growth and development. We need to understand who our franchisees are and how are they making money. You really focus on those unit economics. If your franchisees are making money at the unit level, they're typically going to build more units. They may buy uh, some toys here or there, a boat, cars, but at the end of the day, they're going to build more units and that's how it gets fueled. So really focusing on that foundation. And, and that was very, similar to what we did at Domino's.
1: And so what kind of team did you have to put together in order to get this tank fueled up to grow? I had great people,
2: but it was a very small team. There was a team in 2016. I think there were two of us to start, maybe three of us by the end of the year. And there might've been four of us on our team in 2017. So hasn't been a big team. I always kind of shared with the team that we were going to create a paradigm shift within the brand. And that was the paradigm shift to really become a growth-oriented brand. And by all means, our leadership, Paul Brown and Rourke, always had that mentality, but how can we influence it from our end in collaboration with the other parts of the organization to build that paradigm shift with the franchisee base that, listen, we are here to grow the brand, growing the brand improves market share. We take market share from competitors. That typically raises AUVs, raises unit EBITDA. But at the end of the day, it also increases the value of a franchisee's investment. So yeah, it was a small team, small, but very powerful and very passionate. And then over the years, we're able to add some resources there. But what's interesting is I think from where we were in 2016, even up till today, what we're able to accomplish with probably a smaller team than maybe some brands have as a single brand, I think we're pretty efficient
1: and we do a good job of leveraging the resources across the entire portfolio right now. What was the timeline for the introduction of the additional brands and help the audience who may not be aware of just how many brands are flying their flags under the Inspire Brands umbrella?
2: Sure. So today we have eight brands total. Baskin Robbins, we have Dunkin', we have Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Rusty Taco, Jimmy John's, Sonic, and then we have our newest brand that we launched, Buffalo Wild Wings Go, uh, that we, we launched our first location in May of 2020. But the initial founding of Inspire was in February of 2018, or at least that's the transaction, obviously. Paul and Neil Aronson were working on this for a long time from an ideal standpoint, strategy standpoint, but the first transaction was Buffalo Wild Wings, and they owned Rusty Taco, so we acquired that as well. Simultaneously, we were forming Inspire Brands, and that was building this multi-brand foundation organization that really had never been done in the industry before. There's other multi-unit, multi-brand organizations out there, but the brands are much more siloed. This was modeled more so after the hotel industry. And you look at the conglomerates and the consolidation that happened in the 80s and 90s. And that's what we were setting out to build was how do we acquire these brands? How do we supercharge these brands and actually make them stronger being part of the portfolio than they would be on their own? And part of that is creating and the leveraging of what we call our shared services. The development function is something that we work across all the brands and we build efficiencies and so on and so forth. So February of October 18th, we acquired Buffalo Wild Wings. It was a public company. We took it private. That was a, a complete turnaround. Buffalo Wild Wings had really gotten into a tough place as far as negative same store sales, customer affinity, so on and so forth. And so it was a complete turnaround, required a complete new leadership team. And that was that was a lot of work. So kind of building Inspire while making sure that you know, the wheels didn't fall off of of Buffalo Wild Wings, but it was a lot of fun. So through 2018, a lot had happened and from a lot of different places. Inspire brought in uh, Lyle Tick, who's the president of Buffalo Wild Wings, who's done a fantastic job of leading that brand to where it is today and and the brand's doing very well. But really from a timeline, we kind of joked that it's almost every nine months and probably is about an average of that. The next acquisition after that was Sonic. Sonic was not a turnaround necessarily. It was another public company that we took private, had good leadership in place. Audio San Pedro became the President, when Inspire bought them, and really, what does Inspire bring to the table for that? Again, is the share of services. How do we leverage things like digital, mobile, consumer insights, and analytics to help more or less supercharge that brand and kind of take it to the next level? So, it just as we kind of kind of catch your breath from the the integration and merging all these brands together, we then bought Jimmy John's, and that was get my dates mixed up 2019 because I remember it was right before I think we went into COVID, and then get through COVID and what has been interesting is The brands did very well during COVID. I mean, some brands were affected a little bit more, either to the positive or the negative. Arby's and Sonic were record historical sales and historical profitability. Sports bars and Buffalo Wild Wings obviously were shut down, but we also had a great pivot to off-premise with our new digital loyalty apps as well and third-party delivery. So leveraging the portfolio really was a great display during COVID. Smallest emerging brand, Rusty Taco, who may have had a hard time navigating COVID on its own, really did very well, in part because we had implemented a lot of the things to set it up for growth, leveraging all the shared services from Spire, new digital, new POS, new loyalty, online ordering, and then also third-party delivery contracts, which were negotiated across the portfolio. So they got better rates. And actually, maybe rewind a little bit. When we acquired Buffalo Wild Wings and Rusty Taco, I actually ran Rusty Taco as the interim president my objective was to get this brand basically integrate, implement all the resources of Inspire so that Rusty would have the same benefits and same strengths that its larger brethren brands like Arby's and Buffalo Wings have. And get it ready for growth. That's where that brand is today. That's been fun. And then again, navigating COVID, we fared much better than we thought we would. You would ask anybody in March or April of 2020. It ended up being a good year for the portfolio. And I think that was a testament to what we've built as a foundation and the diversification of the brands and that shared service model. And then in December of 2020 we announced the acquisition of Duncan and Baskin. And so we've been deep in that this year for six, seven months of the year, working on that integration and bringing Duncan and Baskin into the shared service model that we have. And here we are operating today with the eight brands. And it's been a lot of fun. We joke that Inspire years are a little bit like dog years because we've done so much. So it's it's only been about three and a half years. It'll be four years in February, but it feels like a lot longer, but it's been a great experience and the amount of talent and the diversity of talent and experience has just been awesome.
1: You know, I learned something new every single day. Joe, you talk a lot about the shared services and the economies of scale on the back end. What about on the front end? Has there been any pairing up of brands that make more sense for multi-unit, multi-flagged operators to be able to package together?
2: Yes. You know, Duncan and Baskin, we have some of the co-brand where they're actually under the same roof and potentially run by the same manager. Not doing a whole lot of co-branding, if you will, from that sense, if you of what Yum did in the past with their brands. But we are capitalizing from a real estate standpoint where we can have multi-tenant buildings and capitalize. We have very much targeted and we are fostering what we call our cross-brand development. So is how do we foster diversification from our existing franchisee base into other Inspire Brands? And quite frankly, we want to be the franchisor of choice. So if you're a great Sonic franchisee and you like Sonic and you like the performance of your business and you like the leadership of the brand, we would hope that if you want to diversify, you, you diversify across one of our other brands. Again, there's a relationship there. You're getting the same benefits of the shared services. And so we're doing a lot of that from a very targeted standpoint. And from new franchisees that are coming in, there's been a very strong receptiveness to that potential to kind of have a one-stop shop to be able to diversify within their geographies. And there are certain brands that fit well together, whether it's from an operational standpoint, real estate standpoint. I wouldn't share all the strategies exactly, but some of the things that we're targeting, but yeah, there absolutely are some that pair well together. We did launch this last year, our, our own Alliance Kitchen, and we opened our first one in Atlanta. And that basically is our proprietary version of a ghost kitchen that houses all of our brands for off-premise carryout and delivery only.
1: What about the supply chain and labor challenges that the world's facing now? How is Inspire bringing resources to bear to battle back against those?
2: So from a supply chain standpoint, we do have a, at the shared service level, we do have a chief supply chain officer. There are some nuances across the brands with some co-ops, et cetera, but definitely leveraging that scale to better ensure that our brands and franchisees are receiving product, are receiving better prices. We've seen some of our brands that rely heavily on certain commodities. We have seen better results in our cost of goods sold compared to other brands out there that maybe don't have the contracts or have the scale that we have. And also from a development standpoint as well, right? There's a, a bottleneck and also increased demand and lead time for anything that goes into a restaurant from furniture, fixture, and equipment. So definitely leveraging that as much as possible. From a labor standpoint, I think as with every brand out there, definitely. Definitely leveraging innovation, leveraging technology, but also to making sure that I think there's those best practice shared. We have a lot of training and a lot of investment, whether it's an innovation at the restaurant level to make the lives of our team members easier, and also make it a good place for them to work. And then across the brands, we've also done certain things uh, with our company locations to make sure that we are financially incentivizing and rewarding those team members for their work, the ones that are showing up and getting the job done. And I think even same thing across the franchisee basis, again, with without getting too deep in with uh, any joint employer challenges, but how do franchisees share best practices mm-hmm. with each other, utilize and leverage the technology and the innovations and, and create a good culture. You know, I think that's, as we talk about being a franchisor of choice, we also want to be an employer of choice. And that's not just inspire, but if someone's going to work for franchisee Stan, who has X, Y, or Z of our brands in any part of the country. Hopefully, that is a positive move for someone to join there as a team member because of the opportunities uh, to grow from a career standpoint. And and I think we've talked about that as many times just in the, the whole franchising model, right? The opportunities that franchising provides to not only uh, workers who can go from an hourly position into a management role, and maybe become a franchisee or a corporate executive, right? I think it's us trying to make sure that we are telling that story and helping our franchisees to tell that story as well.
1: Joe, happy to have you here. What about some contact info? I'm sure there are going to be those in this audience that are going to want to reach out and get an offline conversation going. Look
2: me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn.
1: I'm also going give my email address too. So
2: it's my first initial J and then my last name pronounced CV. So I'm going to Spell it out though. J-S-I-E-V-E at inspirebrands.com. So J-S-I-E-V-E at inspirebrands.com. Love to hear from anybody. As you can probably tell the conversation here with Stan, I enjoy this business. I'm passionate about this
1: business. I could talk about franchising for hours and this has been a lot of fun. And I really appreciate time today. Well, I've enjoyed it as well. And I'm sure the audience will feel the same way and reflect that in their further communications with you. Looking forward to seeing you back out on the trail and wish you all the best for a successful prosperous q4 and 2022 ahead thank you stan best wishes to you as well look forward to seeing you in person again soon joe seavey vice president of franchising for inspire brands thanks for being with us it really pains me to close out this episode and joe's amazing story on a sad note but i'm afraid that i must a little more than a week ago the franchise world lost a real icon and i lost my closest friend when the one and only Jerry Darnell passed away following an injury to his brain. Jerry was like a brother to me. We talked nearly every day, almost to the very end, and I'm going to miss him immensely. So, next week I'm going to be posting another interview, but the week following, I'll present my own tribute to the man, the myth, the legend, the late, great,